Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Kelly Kennedy. Kelly is one of the leading experts in fitness training for police within the United States. While working for the largest police department in the Southeast United States, she has physically trained and tested over 3,700 police recruits and officers since 1999. During this time, she has lectured on physical fitness to classes for police, corrections, and specialized units such as the Special Response Team, Rapid Deployment Force, and Defensive Tactics Instructors. She has led the design of a large tactical obstacle course and was part of a committee to create pre-test physical fitness screening for members of the Rapid Deployment Force. Additionally, she created a physical screening standard for readiness for the Aviation Unit, Marine Patrol Unit, and served as the project manager of a team of physiologists in the development of the minimum standards for fitness for the job of Police Officer, K-9 Unit, and Special Response Team. In 2003, she started an education and consulting company called fit to enforce that takes her all over the country teaching and consulting law enforcement. She's worked as a subject matter expert in physical fitness for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and served on the editorial review board for the Tactical Strength and Condition Report. In addition, she's presented at conferences for the International Law Enforcement Educators and Trainers Association, International Society of Sports Nutrition, Tactical Strength and Conditioning Conference, and the Florida SWAT Association. In this episode, Kelly talks about her career path into her current role, the logistics of delivering a health and fitness program to such a large police department, how she developed buy-in from the officers she was working with, the current fitness tests and measures utilized within the police academy, the creation of her Fit to Enforce course to help educate officers on fitness and nutrition so they can upskill their own departments. Afternoon, Kelly, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. How's your day been? It's, it's been good. So far, so good. Nice, nice. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for just taking the time and coming to speak to me. Uh, obviously, I've seen a lot of the, the work you've been putting up through your account on LinkedIn and the wellness program you currently look to run. Um, for anyone who hasn't come across you in your work, can you just give us a little bit of an overview of where you started out in your career and where you're currently at? So, sure. Um, I started, I have a master's degree in exercise science. So mm-hmm. most of my my adult career, I guess, has been in some form the fitness industry as like in training or teaching classes, group fitness classes. And um, I, I was uh, an adjunct instructor at the, at the FIU, Florida International University in Miami. And then while I was there, I ended up um, getting a job uh, working full-time for a police department that uh, allowed me to work in the evenings. So I started working there and then I was promoted a year later. So I've been there 21 years. Okay. Uh, it'll be 21 years. Yeah. Nice. And, and how did that come about that, uh, that position just within the police department? So interesting story back then way back then in 1999 gather around children let me tell my, you the uh, my knees are aching let me get my ice <laughs> get my let me get my bags of ice um back then before the millennium um there was uh, uh there was actually a, a fitness director that was there he was also an exercise physiologist he had a master's degree and he had been there for 10 years so essentially, 
um, I called him to see if they had any positions available because I was really looking for health insurance. And I thought that it would be a good full-time job for me to have. Mm -hmm. So in the first year that I was there, I ended up getting a job there and I was um, personal training in the mornings and then teaching at the university for four hours. And then I would drive to work and I would work there from noon until 9 p.m. So um, I did that for about a year, um, kind of burning the candles at all ends. But um, to be honest, I mean, it, it was a really a lucky break for me because the, the department was large, but the staff was relatively small, but there's a lot of versatility within you know, working in law enforcement to really affect a meaningful change in how, you know, how they train, they train their officers and, you know, at any academy. So yeah, it was a great opportunity. Okay. And how, how did you find transitioning into that role? Because I know me and you have been chatting a little bit off air. You said yourself, you, you don't come from a, uh, a police or a military background yourself. So going into that uh, environment, how did you find working with the, the, the officers within that department? And how did you go about getting some buy-in from those officers to buy into you and your program? You know, I think that it actually happens slowly over time. Um, I don't think that anybody should just all of a sudden um, be given an opportunity to, to be a, like an influencer until they've really proven themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that when you start, you just have to really observe the environment with which you're in, you know, that the veil with which I was looking at their training was really from my own experience, you know, in a weight room or in group fitness, it was never, you know, in a paramilitary setting outside with no equipment. And, um, the, the, the way that they communicate and, the um, kind of like hierarchy of how, how they lead was something interesting that I had never seen before. But at the same time, there's also a need for just one-on-one -on -one fitness consultations that people might, you know, be interested in you, you know, sharing information with them. Mm -hmm. So slowly over time, you know, when you, when you share information with people that's meaningful and that's actually useful, it, it ends up, you know, you gain the confidence, um, people start to gain confidence in what it is you have to offer. So I think that, you know, after a certain amount of time, learning more about what they do for a living, observing, you know, the actions that they have to take and asking questions, um, because really it has to do with not so much telling people what you know, it just has to do with maybe listening more mm -hmm. and observing what it, what the, what the types of, actions and requirements of their jobs are important to them so a lot of i had never been exposed to you know jujitsu for example so when some of the defensive tactics instructors came to me to say hey we want to really improve upon our ability to ground fight i was like oh okay well i didn't i've never seen that before mm -hmm. so I would have to look to see what is it that, that you need to do? What are the limiting factors in the actions that you have to do in order to perform these tasks? So 
you know, in that time, I've been really lucky that I've been able to go to bike school. I've been able to become a DT instructor so that I can see exactly what the physical requirements are. Um, you know, I, I started learning how to do jujitsu because I wanted to know, I wanted to know what those requirements were and what mm -hmm. the limiting factors were in all of those training environments. Um, and consequently, over time, you start to, you know, teach in those schools so that really I'm teaching the same subject matter. I'm teaching fitness and nutrition. Mm -hmm. So the subject matter doesn't really change, but the way that you frame it changes based on your knowledge of what you know that they have to go through. So it gives me a better veil with which to look at, you know, how to interpret information. And, um, and I think that, you know, I consider myself lucky in having been able to observe a, a, a large array of different types of training that have taken place. And to be honest, the other officers that I've taught with um, in a physical fitness environment out in the academy probably have taught me the most about the transition between what the needs truly are for the officer and how we can transition that, you know, for recruits. Yeah, it seems a really interesting concept. And I've spoken to a few other coaches around this about that need just to take a step back and actually really observe what's going on and linking in with the officers to see what they're feeling. But also, like you say, getting your hands dirty and getting involved with it as well, like the jujitsu stuff as well, just so you can get an understanding of how it feels. Um, I just want to touch on there. You, you mentioned you work for a very, very large department there. Like how, many, um, like how many officers is your program currently delivering to roughly? So we have about 3,000 officers and 2,000 civilians. Okay. So, so 5,000 in general. And within that, like, what, what are the main components? You were saying there about fitness and nutrition. Um, is there any other performance provision there around like either physiotherapy or uh, performance psychology? Is any of that put around the officers as well? In some ways, yes, on a regular basis. No, there are a lot of options. For example, you know, I work there full time, so they have access to, you know, fitness programming or maybe sports nutrition. Mm -hmm. But in general, they also have access to other types of professionals like nutritionists and health coaches that are in a different entity. They're outside of our department, but they also work in concert with many other departments under the same kind of like veil. So it's, um, there are a lot of options, most of them uh, for physiotherapy, for example, they just go through their private health insurance. So we don't offer that, although at one time we did. Okay. And I would love to see us being able to offer that in the future. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest with you, I would love to see an athletic trainer um, at our department, specifically, you know, at the, at the academy. And also uh, when it comes to sports psychology, after like looking back, when I started working for the department, I knew that there were certain services that were available, but I didn't know how unique they were until I start looking at other departments. So just calling to the largest departments in the country, a lot of them don't have this types of services that we have. You know, we've had like psychological services for mm -hmm. 40 years um, for our officers to help them um kind of like navigate through the challenges of you know the profession in general and to yeah. keep people mentally healthy 
And I think that sports psychology is just another kind of like layer of that, which I would love to see us being able to offer, but we don't offer that. Um, we do have regular psychologists though that work for our department full time um, to provide other services. So from an officer wellness perspective, I would say that we have, we have a lot of elements that a lot of other, a lot of other departments don't have, which is you know, really unique. With regards to the students coming through the door, like how do you, how do you map that fitness plan over the ten month period? Like from the, the, the men and women who rock up on day one, you know, to uh, be part of the academy versus the ones who are passing out at the end. I think that that is one of the challenges. So for departments that don't have someone like me to write programs and try to provide a common link mm -hmm. in in the transition of fitness, generally it's very difficult to know what, what the overall plan is and how to kind of write a plan so that you can reduce, you know, the impact of um, any unreasonable injuries based on like maybe a, a really spirited instructor that wants to take an inspirational 10 mile run on day one, yeah. you know? And so that is, that is one of the things that we're really lucky to have because um, the program is broken up into different phases and the phases all represent different elements of um, the discipline process for, you know, how, how the academy is structured. So the first phase is really like a general fitness, um, fitness building, just general elements of, of cardiovascular conditioning and muscular mm -hmm. endurance. And, um, then the second phase is really more transitioning into more occupational types of elements. And then the third phase is really uh, stripping away some of the, some of the luxurious benefits of a, a well-rounded fitness program to make them extremely occupationally based. So mm -hmm. that means that like, to do a well-rounded warm-up may not be reasonable for an officer on the road that doesn't have the luxury of a warm-up. So, so how do you transition from relinquishing control of your own program to your instructors so that you do like a warm-up, the activity and a cool down, whereas at the end of the program, maybe your warm-up isn't as, isn't as robust in our brains as trainers, you might mm -hmm. want to say, well, this is when the warm-up is the most, um, you know, fundamental aspect and all the accessory work and everything. But it, in reality, we really want to train people to prepare mentally for, um, you know, for the role that they're going to be engaging in, you know? Yeah. So how do they make that mental switch to um, sitting in a car for maybe six hours? And then if they have to all of a sudden get out of the car and run after someone, what are the kind of like strategies that are recommended for them mm -hmm. in order to reduce like hamstring pulls or any unreasonable injuries based on their lack of familiarity on how to move their bodies from odd positions. Yeah. So yeah. we try to transition all those elements and layer all those elements in different phases. And those phases really correspond to a lot of the, the training elements of, you know, any academy, we try to keep our stress maybe a little bit more psychological in the beginning mm -hmm. than physical because it's really easy to apply 
physical stress to a brand new recruit and predispose them to, you know, you know, life-threatening injuries like rhabdo. And um, in those, in that first two weeks of exercise acclimatization, we really want to make sure that that their anxiety is high, but the physical stress is low so that they, we can prepare them for, you know, for the, the real work. Obviously every, every department across the globe has got their own individual fitness measures and their fitness tests and parameters. So where you're currently at, what, what, what do you guys use as your testing battery uh, to, to assess recruits? So every state um, will, will let the individual department know what, what required minimal tests have to be done. Mm -hmm. So there are a certain, like is a certain testing battery <clears throat> that we have to perform in the state of Florida. We, we perform 15 different tests on them to, um, to assess their, you know, their fitness. And when we do that, um, you know, they have to take a pre, a, a, like a, a pre-test before they're hired. So that's, that's um, a new requirement. And then when they're in the academy, then they have to, um, we test their body composition. We test all the elements of like lower body power, um, endurance, you know, speed. <laughs> so we try to uh, kind of gather as many different data points as we can so that we can test them again at the end to see what types of changes, you know, we might like to see. And it's one thing to write a program and it's another thing to, uh, you know, when you have, there's so many elements of a program that, that affect the, how, how a program is actually carried out. For example, a pandemic, yeah. uh, you know, when you have a couple months of completely clunky training where instructors are teaching in odd locations with, you know, with distancing, it, it's, it affects your training significantly. Hurricanes, there's all sorts of like, you know, outliers that make it difficult when we're testing someone in, in the summer and then we post test them in the winter. Mm -hmm. So all of those, those things are, um, you know, our elements that will have an impact on like, on, on how much we see improvement because of things we just can't control. You're saying obviously the, the state dictates like uh, some of the tests and battery that they really need from their recruits and that as well. Has there been any changes uh, since you've been in like to that testing procedure of, of exercises or some tests being dropped and others brought in during that time period? Yeah, they actually didn't have a requirement when I first started. <clears throat> they started that, to be honest with you, I don't remember what year they started that. Okay. So I know that's disappointing. I, I should have done my homework. <laughs> right. um, you know, you can't win them all. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I think that uh, it wasn't, you know, it was maybe like five or six years that we'd mm -hmm. been teaching. So maybe in the early 2000s, you know, 2005, 2006, maybe, um, they started requiring a certain testing battery. When you talk about rolling out a program, we can all agree that if I were to tell 
a group of trainers. I want you to do a fitness testing program and I want you to test push-ups. And then I tell them, I deploy all of them to their own departments to say, you guys are all testing push-ups. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a variety of push-up assessments that are done because it's very difficult to make sure that everyone is tested in exactly the same way. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of areas of opportunity when it comes to, to how we can, we can create these tests Mm -hmm. and, um, and what we're really testing for and what the instructors are looking for just for something as simple as, you know, like a push up, a maximum push up test. Is it until failure? Is it for a minute? How do we know what that's for? Are people really looking at that information or are they not? How are they collecting the information? How are they regard, uh, analyzing the information? Yeah. Um, are they tethering it back to the actual trainee or are they not? Does the trainee know how they fall in relationship to everyone else? Um, so all of those elements of you know testing and training have to kind of be maybe like aligned so that so that we can compare you know, across the board, what types of fitness levels are really coming through at, 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 play, at departments across the state. I don't know how they do it in the UK, but, um, you know, I, the state of Florida, that's, that's typically how it's done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like you say there, it's, it's, it's really important to have that, that continuity throughout departments and stuff so you can link it back and be like, right, why are we actually measuring this and what impact does this have? And if we see, say, for instance, a significant drop off in their, their mile run time, what is the, the chances of their injury rates going to go up from there and stuff? I'm just diving a little bit deeper into that data. Um, yeah. But you were saying there, Kelly, as well about like um, rolling out programs and developing those programs in your courses. I want to talk a little bit because I know you've got your, your, your own course. You've developed the, the Fit to Enforce course. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to chat a little bit around that. And like, how did you come about creating this course and wh- why did you see a need to create this course? I guess for that very reason, you know, it really was an effort to try to improve the quality of how we're evaluating people and how we're really analyzing information. For example, I can guarantee you that a class that starts with 50 people if I'm not looking at how many people end the program and I'm just looking at their fitness levels, I can guarantee you that I can graduate only the top people in that class. So we can have a really huge improvement in their fitness levels. But if I'm only graduating five people and everybody Mm -hmm. else is broken, then is my training program really effective? And so looking at injury trends and trying to, trying to reanalyze, you know, what, what led to those injuries is a really important part of analyzing information. Yeah. And uh, when you're, when you work inside the law enforcement, you know, um, departments, you really see where, where inconsistencies can grow and how we may analyze them maybe in sport with coaches. We analyze this data but we, we're not really analyzing it for our own recruits. And so this is just kind of like has been always an innovative way to take a look at how we can improve the quality of training so that we can end up with not only a better, a better workforce, but 
um, a healthier one, you know, yeah. and that they're really developing good skills. But it's difficult because there's a lot of turnover in training and there's a lot of, you know, movement. So mm -hmm. I've been in the same role for a long time because because there's only one position in my department for me. But if you're an officer, you can be transferred anywhere and you can be promoted. And once you're promoted, a brand new person comes in who doesn't have that experience and they have to learn it all over again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity for, um, you know, how do we analyze data and how are we looking at collecting data in a way that will keep things consistent. So essentially with the course that, that I developed, it was really an effort to try to align those, uh, those things from the most granular per perspective because police departments in general just need a little bit of guidance on what works. And a lot of nuances when you work for a department are known to the people that work inside of it. But oftentimes, you know, to a third party vendor is very difficult for them to understand, you know, yeah. what the challenges are. Just from even an administrative perspective, it's just difficult to understand, you know, how to, you know, to adjust for certain, you know, outliers. I mean, with regards to then, obviously I'm the insider knowledge for developing this course and that. for the course itself, who's a mostly aimed at within law enforcement? Is it for guys who have been trained for a bit and are coming in to upskill themselves or is it um, senior members of departments coming in to add something new to their department? So who, who's your main clientele you have coming into it? So the main clientele are the actual officers that are working with the, the recruit. Okay. So um, it would be, you know, an overview. It's basically like a college level 101 course mm -hmm. on fitness um, with all of the elements of fitness training that are specifically occupationally ne necessary for law enforcement in general then the practical component of, you know, how that's typically done. So it's, I, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. If someone, you know, knows how to, to do, um, they know how to do a lot of different types of workouts, but then when you ask them, well, if I were to bench press, what muscles am I working? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, wow, how, how is that even possible? How is it that, you know, all of this other great stuff and you yeah. can't identify just simple anatomy. And so, um, and it's not to be defamatory. It's really just to say that there's like a little bit of a disconnect. There's a hole and where, how can that be? How can that be addressed? Is that you, you just have to make sure that everybody is on the same page mm -hmm. so that they understand, you know, basic anatomy. They understand how to train somebody one-on-one -on -one, and they understand how to lead exercise in a group. Um, and they understand how to control a class. For example, the first time I ever had to teach a class to, I'm like, well, I really want them to like all be in a square facing me. How do I make them do that? What am I supposed to say to them? Yeah. So, and the interesting thing is, is that even though maybe somebody has gone through an academy before, they may not know how to actually do that. So we actually take those steps and we go through all of those steps to replicate that situation with their very own class. 
so that they have an opportunity to understand, you know, how do they put a class into formation mm -hmm. and, and how can they get them to stand so that they can, you can actually see everyone. So there are certain things that like, that certain cues that we might give that are important for the instructor just to have a little bit of an edge and be more comfortable so that their anxiety is lower and they know how to control for, um, you know, for every single movement that a class will respond to based on the way you count. So it's really a very basic type of class, but extremely tailored to the population. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how long does the, the, the course actually run for? How long is it generally structured to run for? And what, what's it look like? So if I was to rock up on day one as Officer John taking this course, what would be the mm -hmm. first things I'd be introduced to? And how would you build on each one of those? So uh, it would be a five-day course. Mm -hmm. And we usually have one to two hours of practical training. So typically we'll do, um, we'll go over weight training exercises in the gym. And then we'll do a group exercise, like some sort of overview of, of a regular group session. And then um, every day we'll skill build on different elements of that session so that the class has an opportunity to not only lead, but to analyze what works and what doesn't work. So, um, so that, you know, everyone kind of like stands on the shoulders of the person that went before them to say, okay, that didn't work so well. And let's talk about why you didn't control for this and you didn't control for that. This person was all over the place and that person was facing the wrong way. So all of the, the, the tiny organizational tips that you would want to have when teaching a class mm -hmm. in a physical way. So we have a couple hours of that and we have, um, we'll go over like cardiovascular conditioning in one day, yeah. then we'll go over muscular strength and conditioning. So very basic level but um, ground up, you know, yeah. all of the actionable things that it's not necessarily all theory. It's really gain. It's really, it's really geared toward action, you know, how to apply it. Yeah. And they, they have to learn how to put a whole program together. So we'll put a six week program together. And how do you, how do you develop a six week program for a class? So we'll do like workshops on that so that they'll learn how to put programs together. And, um, and they also, you know, I hear from my students, my former students all the time. Um, you know, they'll send me presentations and say, Hey, look, I have to do a lecture on fitness and nutrition for my department. Can you look this over and make sure that, you know, it, it makes sense. So there's a lot of, I, this is, to be honest with you, this, this, this company for me is really my, my passion. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that takes the, these classes, I, I feel like if there's any way that I can help them in, in getting good information out to their departments, um, will really, you know, helps me feel like at least, you know, I'm still able to contribute, you know, and That's I'm grateful that they want to reach out to me, to be honest. <laughs> No, that's awesome, Kelly. That's uh, great that you've seen like a gap there and to step in and provide a service to people to really help upskill them so they can make themselves better and the departments better. Um, I think that's really, really powerful stuff. Okay, Kelly. Um, so you, you're obviously doing some great stuff with um, Fit to Enforce and that. 
how can people, you know, who are listening get in touch with you either to chat or find out a bit more about the work you're doing and what other projects have you got going on at the moment as well? So, um, well, the website fit to enforce, uh, com is a way that they can contact me. And, uh, I, I started a project really just to provide a little bit more support to law enforcement right now, we're seeing a lot of kind of like, um, a lot of discomfort when it comes to, uh, overall view of the law enforcement community and how they work in our communities in general. Mm-hmm. And so I started a thank-blue.com, which is just basically uh, an opportunity for members of the community to, to give an officer a token of appreciation when they see them out on the road. Um, I think that when when there's an overall like kind of like negative publicity on what's going on with law enforcement there's a perception that law enforcement are all bad Mm -hmm. and that everyone can't don't that there's a lot of there's a lack of support in general for law enforcement and and it's had a really significant impact on morale and it's It's disheartening to see because when you work with people every day, you know that um, they join the department and there's a lot of great cops out there that really are working their tails off to do the right thing every day. And it would be nice for somebody in the community to be able to show them their appreciation. Sometimes they don't know how to interact with them. So this is really an effort to to propagate a positive interaction with the community and law enforcement so mm-hmm. that they can just let them know, Hey, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. So, you know, thank you. So really it's, it's just a small token of appreciation, but it's been nice to see how many people really do support their local, you know, law enforcement. And it's, it's a nice opportunity for people that may not have taken the opportunity otherwise to just, you know, say thanks. No, they, that sounds awesome, Kelly. Um, I'll make sure, obviously, two really great projects there, the, the Fit to Enforce and with the, the Thank uh, Blue uh, movement you've got going as well. So I'll make sure I link them into our show notes so anyone listening can go check it out and support, support the cause as well. Um, Kelly, thank you so much. It's been really, really nice to sit down and chat with you and really insightful just to see how you run your department over there. Um, and yeah thank you thank you once again for taking the time thanks thanks for having me i appreciate it okay guys thank you so much for listening in today if you enjoyed the content here please check out our website at monarchhumanperformance.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with future podcast episodes articles and upcoming content including training programs and live and online workshops